Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Grab your Bibles, open them up. Book of Colossians is where we are this morning. Colossians chapter 3, actually. We're in a series called All of Christ for All of Life. In the first half of the series, you guys remember, we covered the all of Christ part, all of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord and the creator of the universe, and he is the Lord and the recreator of his people. And so uh, last week, if you remember, we transitioned uh, to the all of life part of the series because of who Jesus is. Uh, because of what he has accomplished, he affects church life. Like He affects how you and I interact with one another as Christians in real time. And so that's where we are today. And Duel's one of our elders, and he's going to read uh, the scripture reading this morning. Okay, Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thus is the word of the Lord. Yes, thank you. Let's pray. God, you have saved us from our sins by grace and not by anything that we have done. You have reconciled us into relationship with you by grace. You have united us to your son Jesus by grace. We have a new identity in Christ by grace, and we are thankful for all the grace that you have given to us as your children. So God, I pray, even as we've heard your word and, and begin to understand it better in a few minutes, that right now I ask that you would help us today hate the sin in us that's killing us and love the Savior who is renewing us. And I pray that you would do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. How do we live like Christians? 
If someone were to ask you that, you say, I'm a Christian, and someone says, okay, well, how do you do that? How do you live like, what does it mean to live like a Christian? How would you answer them? This year marks the 26th anniversary of the Four Dummies series. You guys remember those books? Uh, in November 1991, DOS for Dummies was released for public consumption. You guys probably remember this, some of you. And ever since then, there is no limit to, to what subjects these guys offer help in. Gardening for dummies, there's sausage making for dummies, art history for dummies, chess, home buying, you name it. There's probably a four dummies guidebook on that. The dummies books were one of a kind because they started with this very simple assumption. They assumed that their readers knew zilch about the topic that they were learning about, and they did their best to not make you feel like a dummy while you were learning about that subject so you could be proficient in it. They assumed their readers came to the subject with no background knowledge in the topic, and so they gave a very basic but a very comprehensive explanation uh, for what you need to know to be proficient in the subject. That's the genius of those books. Paul is going to do something very similar in this passage of Colossians, okay? So you need to think about it like this. Paul is writing Christian living for dummies, okay? And that'll help give you a, a better perspective on how to read these verses, okay? Paul is going to do a lot of defining, a lot of explaining. He wants to be very clear about the most important concepts of, quote, Christian living for his readers, for the people that are in Colossae. And so Paul is not going to make the assumption that all of his readers, that all the, the Christians that are in Colossae all come with the same background knowledge to that. Because he knows they all come from different backgrounds and different experiences when they came to Christ, before they came to Christ. He knows that about them. So he's going to keep it simple, yet he's going to cover a whole lot of ground. That was a lot of verses that we read, right? So we're going to do that this morning as well. So just to give you a heads up, we still got some little ears in the, in the room maybe that haven't made their way back to children's ministry. We're going to be talking about sexuality a little bit today. So we're going to talk about that in an appropriate adult manner, okay? Uh, so here's the question. What does it mean to live like Christians together? You probably have a definition of that. You probably have a definition of that, you pro right? So what does that mean, though? Here's the big idea. The Christian life is putting to death the old way of life and putting on the new way because we've been united to Christ. I'll say that again in case you want to write that down, all right? The Christian life is putting to death the old way of life and putting on the new way because we have been united to Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. Okay, so to live like Christians, we're going to break this into two parts, all right? And the first part is this. We need to put to death the old way of living. That's part of what it means to live like a Christian. If you're going to say, I'm a Christian, you're, I'm going to wear that jersey, I'm going to wave that flag, that's, this is part of what that means. This is part of what you're saying. Paul gives two lists in these verses of very general categories of sins that we as Christians are to put to death or we are to strip off like clothing. We're to strip it out of our life. We need to strip it out of our homes, okay? And the, the first list he gives is this, is selfish idolatry. Selfish idolatry. Look at verses 5 through 7. 
Put to death, therefore. That, that's very strong language, is it not? Put to death whatever is earthly. And you remember last week he said, see the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Well, now, he, now he's, he's picking up on it. So I'm talking about the things that are on earth, that, that things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, some translations say lust, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked. So he's reminding them a part about their past, when you were living in them, okay? All these behaviors that are listed, really, they're pretty related, all right? He's relating them under this big category of idolatry. That's kind of a big churchy word for some of us, idolatry. It makes you sound real spiritual. You drop that in a conversation, a Bible study, right? So I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Once you get an understanding of what this is, it's going, to give you, it's going to help you have a baseline for what Christian living is about, all right? Idolatry is simply taking a good thing that God created and elevating it to a God-like thing in your life. That's, that's what idolatry is. It is believing in your hearts. I must have that, or I am not going to be a whole person. I must have this thing, or I won't be a whole person. I, I, if I don't have this, if I don't have them, if I don't have that thing, then it's impossible for me to be happy. It's impossible for me to be secure in my life. I am not going to be a fully functioning, fully flourishing human being. Paul begins uncovering some very basic but widespread behaviors that we once believed would make us happy. We need to have this in order to be a whole, complete person. Sexual immorality is one of the words that he uses here, and this is a broad categorical term that means any kind of sexual activity or intimate relationship outside of God's design. The Greek word is actually porneia, which is where we get the word pornography, right? So that's what he's talking about. It's a very broad term. God created sex to be enjoyed. Amen? It's a good thing. So he created to be enjoyed, and he created to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for one lifetime. And he says, that's, that's how we enjoy this gift. He goes on to say, Paul says, impurity and passion or lust. These terms are actually speaking of sexual sins as well, but they emphasize the self-centeredness of them. Lust and love aren't the same thing. One is other-giving, one is self-giving. To lust after something is to desire it mainly for what you get out of it, for how it makes you feel. That's lust. The flourishing of someone else or the destruction of someone else, that doesn't factor in when we lust. We don't care. We're not thinking about that at all. So generally speaking, not, in, not absolutely, but lust in men can sometimes look like tolerating the work of an effort of having a relationship with someone so that we can have sex. I'll just deal with that so I can get what I really want. Generally speaking, not absolutely, but lust in women can sometimes look like tolerating those frequent requests so I can have the security of that relationship, so I can have the benefits of being connected with that person. 
in the circles that that might open up and the privileges that that might open up. He goes on to say, evil desires and covetousness. These are terms that speak to intense desire or greed. So like when we want something, even that's something that's good to the degree that we are demanding that, I demand that you love me. It's a good thing to have, want someone to love you, right? I demand you do this for me. We've raised a want to this demand. That's we're taking a desire and it's an evil desire. We have twisted that now, Paul says. When we want more and more and more of something, we just never get to enough. When you got enough of that? I don't know. One more. That's, that's covetousness. That's greed. It's something that we all struggle with. You take all these things that Paul's talking about in this list together, and he basically puts it in this category, idolatry. That's really what this is. Idolatry is simply trusting in created things more than the creator for giving me that success and significance or security. I'll be all right if I got that. It's taking that good thing and elevating it to a God thing in my life lots of times. And when anything other than Jesus is our God, listen, Crossway, listen. If anything other than Jesus is our God, it's going to enslave you. You'll get addicted to it. It'll trap you. And it'll make you think you're free. It'll ultimately destroy us. And not only that, it will harm the people that are around us and the relationships that are around us. Paul tells us to put that kind of thinking and that kind of behavior to death, Christians. We're to put that to death. That is not how we treat one another anymore. We don't use one another like that anymore. That's not how we live anymore as free people who have been united to Jesus Christ. That belongs to the old way of life. That way of life is dying off, and it will be dead one day. And so we are united to Jesus Christ. He's given us a new identity. We don't answer to that name anymore. They don't live here in that residence anymore. That's what he's saying. So, so we need to see that for what it is. It is selfish idolatry, and we need to put it to death before it puts us to death. It's a death match. Either we kill it or it kills us. Second category he lists is this. We put to death destructive attitudes. So he's going from the outside, inside. You see this progression here? We need to put to death these destructive attitudes. Verses 8 through 9. But now you must put them all away. It means to strip off, like stripping off clothing, okay? Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Now we're going from the inside out. Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This is the context of community. Do not lie to one another. Why? Here's the why. Here's the motivation. Not so that you can become a good person. All right? Seeing that you've put off the old self with all its practices. He's saying don't practice those things. Don't go to those scrimmages. You practice other things because you're on a different team now. So you don't scrimmage with them anymore. You scrimmage with Christ over here. Whereas sexual immorality and covetous greed, they're all sins that enslave us as individuals or maybe even as maybe a couple of people. These behaviors will destroy entire communities. 
they get in, they fester, and they destroy an entire church. It's impossible for us to live together as new creations. It is impossible for us to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ where these attitudes are given free reign and they are not addressed or checked. It'll shred it apart. It really will. I actually think this is the part of the passage that is most emphasized. Anger, wrath, malice, the, all these words modify and they mutually define one another. Paul is talking about an attitude that views one another spitefully. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you just despise someone that's coming to that community under the name of Christ. You're not from around here, are you? You don't know how we do it around here in Port Orchard, do you? Right? Spitefully. Malice, this is the desire to actually harm others. I would never do it. But man, I'm murdering them in my mind. Or when I gossip about them, I'm just slicing them up clean. You know what I'm saying? We've all done this. Don't pretend we haven't done this, right? I've done it. We actually want to see loss come to that person. I'd love to see them lose their job. I'd love to see them lose something. Some of us express this in loud outbursts of rage. Some of us do this through quiet, ice-cold silence. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to acknowledge that you're standing next to me. We have different ways of expressing this. Slander, obscene language. He goes on to say these are oftentimes expressions of that attitude. It reveals the destructive attitude in our heart. Paul's not talking about avoiding a whole list of cuss words that are culturally defined, right? I mean, that could possibly go in there. But he's not saying, okay, don't drop the F-bomb in conversation, all right? Don't drop the F-bomb when you hit your thumb with the hammer. I mean, that could fit, but that's not really what he's talking about. He's going a little deeper than this, guys. He's talking about speaking in a way that destroys someone's character as a human being. He's, he's talking about speaking in a way that degrades them as a human, that bears the image of the creator. I'm going to speak as if they are subhuman. And through my speaking, I will make them subhuman. Back where I came from, they called dressing them down. Right? Racial slurs, sexist remarks and thinking, name-calling, degrading comments, degrading jokes. I mean, would you tell that joke of that person that his representative was in the room. This is ways we, we, we do. Lying, just flat out saying stuff that's just not true about someone else. These are ways that we make people who are not like us feel like they are other instead of brother. You tracking with me? And Paul says that that is obscene talk for a Christian. When you guys, when we notice this, when we notice that attitude in ourselves, when we notice that kind of thinking in our mind or it's coming out of our mouth, we need to rid ourselves of that, he says. Christian, rid yourself of this. Take it off like ragged, molded clothing. Take it off. 
Don't put up with that in your life anymore. You don't have to. Put it to death in the incinerator. Send it away. Paul is saying this. Don't tinker around the edges. Don't say, I'll get to that. When you see it, when you notice it, put it to death. Don't tolerate that attitude toward other people in your heart, in your body, in your relationships, because that is not who you are anymore. You have died to that. And your life is hidden in Christ, he says. You've been united to Jesus who's renewing you, and that's your brother and sister who's been united to Christ too. And by the way, they're being renewed in his image also, the image of the creator. Uh, There was kind of a funny story, but one time I was eating an ice cream. This is years ago. I was eating ice cream with Vanessa, and uh, I had eaten like half my my cup. And, uh, man, it was really good. And I'm, she stops me. I'm about ready to take a bite, and she stops me because she sees someone's hair sticking out of the bite of the spoon that I am about to eat. And it was gross. I went, oh, man, it was repulsive. I looked down into my half-eaten cup, and you know what? I saw no less than 20 hairs in my cup. I quit counting after 20. I literally counted them. But I... I, I, I 20 hairs or more. It was just covered, lining the inside of my cup that I had been eating. Eating. It was repulsive. It was unacceptable. Like, I quit. I stopped eating and threw it in the trash. I didn't try to, like, pick around these people, the hairs of someone, all right? Guys, let me ask you a question, Crossway. How much sin is acceptable for you? before you throw it in the trash and get rid of it. How much will you eat around? You see, guys, we will not cut sin out of our lives and out of our hearts until we begin to hate it, until we are repulsed when we see that in us. I can't believe that's in me. And then we will not tolerate even one hair of the old way of living in us. Amen? Because we have served, been served something better by Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Here's the deal when it comes to getting rid of that selfish idolatry. Here's the deal when it comes to getting rid of those destructive attitudes that have been like ingrained as patterns in our life. Look, it takes time and it takes other people. It takes other people to help us do it. Guess what? Holiness is a community project. And we live in a part of the country that thinks it's my Bible and a podcast and Jesus, and I'm good all by myself out there in the woods. No. You can't grow in holiness like that. You can't grow in holiness like that. We need one another. I need you in my life. You need one another in your life to live into your calling, to live into your new identity. We need people. Look look at this. Let's go to verse, where is it? Verse 16? Let's go to verse 16. I want to prove this to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing yourself. Is that what it says? What's it say, Daniel? One another. That's right, brother. One another. I'm not the only one teaching and admonishing, right? 
You are teaching and admonishing. You are teaching and you you are teaching and admonishing. You are teaching. It's a group project. You get that? We're doing this with one another. Use God's rights in each other's lives. You understand what I'm saying? We got a right to speak into each other's lives. We need to give people that we trust. That's the key word. People that we trust hunting licenses. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, man, you guys like to go hunting? For hours? Days? Weeks? You like to go hunting, right? All right. Give your buddy a permit. Give a buddy that you trust that's a brother in Christ who wants good for you. Give him a permit to go hunting for sin in the deep forest of your heart. That's what you need to do. This is the application, right? Someone that you trust. I'm not talking about every time we meet out. I'm not talking about like every day. But periodically, because sin is deceptive, right? You want to grow in Christ? You want to grow in your identity of that jersey that you're wearing? This is how we do it. Periodically ask him that question. Hey, hey, brother, I got to ask. We're good. Life's good. You see anything destructive in me, any destructive attitudes in my life that I'm blind to? Hey, you see, have you noticed how I've treated my wife lately? What do you think about that? Can you speak to me about that? Because I need you. Okay? Oh, and then listen to him. That's key. Then listen because he loves you. Listen because he's your friend and he cares. Okay? He wants to help you put to death stuff that's killing you. And then you turn around and you do that for him. All right? That's how we, that's how we put it to death. Women, you like to go hunting too, right? Hunting for bargains sometimes, some of you, right? Give his sister a permit to go hunting for sin in your heart. Someone that you trust. You know she'll tell you the truth, okay? And she'll still love you afterwards. Hey, what is it that I idolize instead of my Lord? Can you tell me that? I don't need 20 that'll kill me. One thing, okay? <laughs> Can you tell me one thing that, that's, that's destroying relationships right now in my life. Anything that I need to get rid of, and a trusted friend will patiently tell you that in a gentle way, and then you need to listen to her, and then you do the same for her, and that's how we do this together, okay, guys? You said this is life-bringing. It's not destructive. We need people who are close enough to point these things out to us in love and with compassionate hearts. And that is part of what being a part, a member of a local church is. This is what we do. We help each other live into our name and live into our calling as Christians. Some of the most joyful Christians that I know, some of the most maturing, joyful Christians that I know personally are those that are serious about hating their sin and living into their new identity of Christ. They do this with people. You know why? They're not afraid to let them point out sin in their life because they already know the gospel. They already know that all their sin is forgiven. So you can bring it up. I know I'm forgiven, so now we can talk. And they're secure. They're really secure about it. The Christian life is not only putting to death the old way of life, but it is also putting on the new way because we have a new identity in Christ. So what's this mean practically, putting on the new way of living? Well, one thing it means is that we seek to know what Jesus says because he's our creator. 
Like we actually seek to know what Jesus says about something because he's our creator. Look at verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed. This is progressive. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul's been talking since, since the very beginning of this book. He wants us to know more, to grow in the knowledge of who our creator is. Because we grow in the knowledge of our creator, it'll change our life. Putting on the new self means seeking to know more fully who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, and the kingdom that he is bringing. Like, we're not, we're not cool with like a third grade education knowledge on that. We want to know more, right? We understand it better. It means that we, we actually believe King Jesus defines reality, and we want to live in alignment with that reality, not live in fantasy world. That's only going to disappoint us in the end. Because I want to live how Jesus says to live because he's my creator and because he is my redeemer. And I actually believe that he knows what's best for me. He actually knows what's good for me. And so that doesn't mean that we don't fall into sin. We do. We all fall into sin in this process. But it does mean that our, our basic orientation, what we're aiming our life at, is changing. Our core desires are changing. We, we like actually want to live like Christ at the end of the day. We're not doing it well. We're not doing it perfectly. But like we, like I want to know. So tell me the truth. Because I want to know. I want to do that. That would actually make me happy. As opposed to like, our old self was like we would just grit our teeth. Well, I just, I don't, I just, I guess I'll do it. But I want them to, I don't want them to know I'm a sinner, so I'll just look good. Now we've changed. Tell me what, what I need to know, what you see. Our fundam, we've fundamentally changed our desire. That's why we study the Bible with other Christians, okay? That's why. That's why we pray with other Christians. That's why we confess our sins to one another, to other Christians, because we do those things to help us start putting on the new self through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to give us something clean and wholesome to do. We're actually picking up tools. We're actually picking up resources to help us walk and step right into who we really are. They help us become who we already are. Putting on the new self also means that we actively embrace Christians regardless of ethnic, religious, cultural, and class boundary markers. Because Jesus is Lord of all. It's a long one, I'll say it again. We actively embrace Christians regardless of ethnic, religious, cultural, and class boundary markers because Jesus is Lord over all. Check this out in verse 11 and 12. Paul says, here, he's talking about here where? In the new self, in this new community that Christ has formed. Here, there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then, therefore, right? Therefore, because all that is true, Christ is Lord of all, therefore, put on as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved. That's who you are if you're in Christ. Holy and beloved, what are we going to put on? compassionate hearts. You know what that means? Cultivate empathy. Cultivate, cultivate empathy. Compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness. That just means gentle, gentle approach. And patience. Have the 20-year marker in mind. Okay? Here's the point Paul is saying. Putting on the new self has a social dimension, not just a spiritual individual dimension. Are you tracking with me? The gospel has, that's what we focus on a lot of times. Individual, I'm saved. He's saying it has a social dimension to it as well that we can't ignore. Because we are reconciled and united to our Redeemer, we are united and saved by Jesus Christ, and connected to him, we are to be reconciled. We are be, to be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and just like there's been damage done there, there's been damage done here. So reconciliation takes some effort and time, okay? Paul is four pairs of people's groups in this, in this list. Three of those four pairings are grouped as opposites. And there's one that's the same, you know? So you think of that like Sesame Street song we learn, you know, which one's not like the others, okay? We'll get to that. So they're, they're the same, you know, the opposite, 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 and then there's one that's the same. It's very interesting. Okay, so here's opposites. There's no Greek or Jew. That's different ethnicity. Oh, and by the way, nationality. This is my country. This is your country, okay? So different ethnicity, nationality, circumcised, uncircumcised, that's different religious backgrounds, some will come from a, from a Jewish religious background, and some come from this pagan background where they did all kinds of other stuff for worship of different gods. Uh, slave and free, that's different class and society, okay? So think blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, right? Those people hang out at different bars, right? Different sides of the street, all right? Lower class, middle class, upper class, all that kind of stuff. So think in those terms, all right? And then you have barbarians and Scythians. Those are kind of the same. These are tribes, and they're real wild cultures. That's culture. They're wild cultures. They're angry. They're, they're, they're uncivilized. They speak gibberish languages that nobody really understands, and they're, they're really angry. They come in a place, and they just blow the place up kind of thing. They're rude. They're gruff. They're rough. They snarl. Okay? Don't really want to be around them. You don't want to have them over for tea, Right? So, th- so these are the groups. I-, I said this before, and I'll say it again this week. Um, the gospel does not obliterate our distinctiveness, all right? Our distinctions, our culture, ethnicity, gender, social class, religious background, those things do not get erased when we come to Christ. But Jesus reorders them. They are there, and they're part of our identity, but he reorders them. He reshapes them. They revolve around him now. Those things are no longer our primary identity marker anymore. They are there, but they're not the primary identity marker like the world tells us they should be. And that's how the world wants to group us up. Being in Christ or not in Christ is our primary identity marker now. So what that means is that those identity markers are not our primary source of where our loyalties lie. Does that make sense? Like you heard the phrase, blood's thicker than water, right? Not, not, that's conventional wisdom. Not, not anymore, not in Christ. 
right? Like your family trumps your friends, that's what that means. Blood's thicker than water. There is a blood that's thicker than water, and the bloodline that we share is the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's the bloodline that's running through every single one of us that, that claims Christ, and he affects how we treat and interact with one another. Those markers do not dictate whom we will fully embrace, whom we will listen to, and whom we will get this, actually learn from. No, Christ does now. Let me put it another way. Putting on the new self means we refuse to be polarized by those earthly boundary markers anymore. We're going to let people separate us based on those things anymore and pit us against each other anymore. Putting on the new self means we actively cross those lines to embrace fellow Christians. It means I'm going to cross. I'm going to cross that line. You don't go there. Yeah, well, I'm go there because they're my brother. You're in Christ. I'm in Christ. You're my sister. Doesn't matter your background, where you came from. Doesn't matter where you eat. Doesn't matter where you live. I'm going there. I'm going to cross those lines, even if it's awkward. Like, even if we don't know how to do it, we're going to try to do it. Even if it upsets people in our own little tribe, we'll do it. Even if it means we have to rearrange some things in how we do church, we'll rearrange them. We're going to fully embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our loyalty and love and compassion and acceptance will not be confined to our little tribe. Jesus is over all, and he is in all, if they are in Christ. Putting on the new self also means forgiving one another. It means forgiving one another in love. You guys saw this coming, right? When Christ becomes our ultimate identity marker, and we start crossing lines that the world uses to polarize us, people will offend us, right? They won't be happy with that, and they will offend us while we're going through this process, and it is a process. When we try to group up with Christians, we try to group up with folks that are from different cultures or personal experiences or jobs or background, family, we're going to be offended, okay? So we need to get ready for that. We are going to be treated when we cross over that line and we say, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to talk with you. We need to be ready for that. They're not used to me being there when they talk or eat or worship. We're going to be treated according to the old way sometimes, maybe even accidentally. We're going to be treated as less than fully human at times by people that are supposed to love us in Christ. Probably unintentionally but they never had to deal with that. We've never had to deal with that before. So it will offend us. It will hurt us sometimes, our dignity as image bearers of Christ. So then what do we do? What do we do when that happens, when we're offended by someone that we're trying to reach out to and love? Well, we got a couple options, right? We can retreat, like, like we can withdraw, right? We can get offended and we can take our ball and go home and bounce to another church, right? And that's what we typically do. Can we just be honest? That's what we do, right? Or we can just bounce out of church altogether. I'm going to take a five-year hiatus. It'll be me and Jesus, and I'll be great. Because that's work. Or here's another option. The other option that we have is that we can stay in the church, and we can forgive the very people that offended us. 
And Paul is saying in this passage, in this scripture, Paul is saying that to be united to Christ, to have a new identity of Christ, and to actually put on that new self means, guess what? We stay and we forgive. We choose. We choose. We don't feel like it, but we choose to stay and forgive the people that offend us. And you know what that does to the world? They go, what? That brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. Paul tells us that we stay and we forgive. Check out verse 13 here. Bearing with one another. That's like the bare minimum. That's not even forgiveness. That's like, I'm just going to tolerate your ignorance, okay? I'm going to tolerate, like, you don't even know what you don't know about what you just did. So I'm going to just kind of put up with that. That's the bare minimum. Right? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other. So he's talking about uh, to the one that's offended, primarily. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you can take the option to forgive others. So that says? You must forgive others. That's partly what shows that you truly have received that forgiveness of a great God. This is one of the most difficult and controversial teachings of Jesus, I think. I don't know another religion that says, if you follow me, you are to forgive offenders. But it is actually a beautiful thing in the world. It makes the world take notice of how powerful Jesus is. I don't have time to to nuance everything that needs to be said about forgiveness, all right? I've already kind of gone too long, I think, and it's really complex, and I know that, and I get that. But for the sake of time, let's just at least start here, all right? Let's start right here. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Isn't that great? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. You do it with your mind. Okay? Forgiveness is a decision we make not to hold the offense against the offender. I know that doesn't cover everything, but it's just, a, it's just a simple working definition right now, all right? It's a decision that we make to not hold the offense against the offender. Forgiveness is not conditional on the offender's repentance. That's what I'm saying. Forgiveness is one way. Reconciliation of that destroyed relationship, that's, that's two-way. That takes two people as far as it depends on us, right? But forgiveness is one way. You can do this yourself. I can do this on my own. We can forgive people that are no longer in our community. We can forgive people that have moved they are no longer in our state. We can forgive people that are no longer alive. We can forgive our dad. We can forgive our uncle. Because it only takes one person to forgive. Isn't that good news? When we forgive, we are releasing a real offense, not an imagined one, but a real offense to God. That's what we are doing. Forgiveness is not, ah, don't worry about it, bro. Oh, man, that, hey, I came up, I'm sorry. Hey, you know what, don't worry about it. That didn't bother me. Yeah, it bothered you. You were ticked because it hurt you. It degraded your dignity as an image bearer. But that's not forgiveness, right? Nah, don't worry, we're good, we're good. It wasn't anything. You just didn't have your nap. You know, you didn't have your coffee. No, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. It is releasing a real offense to a real God. We are literally trusting that this offense has not escaped his eyes. He saw it. He saw it down in their heart. He heard it. It is on record. 
okay? We are trusting that God will deal with that. He's dealt with it at the cross, and if it's not repented of, he will deal with it at judgment, right? So we make room for this. We do not have to dwell on the offense, and we do not have, you are not fated to carry that bitterness like a load the rest of your life. That's forgiveness. Okay, so two things real quick. Forgiveness takes time. It's not immediate. You're not going to be able to forgive depending on the offense in the next hour. Okay? It'll take time. And forgiveness takes a supernatural power. Do you know how unnatural it is for humans to forgive one another, even Christians, even good Christians? Like, this is not normal life. Look around you. It's supernatural. It takes some a supernatural power to do this, brothers and sisters. We can't do it ourselves. In fact, it's impossible to, to do this without believing the gospel of Jesus Christ for yourself. Like that, That's actually real for you. It's impossible to do anything that I've talked about today without deeply believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you've been filled with his Holy Spirit. That's what it takes. That's what it requires. In fact, that's exactly what Paul reminds us of when he says, as the Lord has forgiven you. See, see how he starts with the gospel first and then the thing to do? As the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive others. How did God forgive you? How did God forgive us when our selfish idolatry insulted his lordship? How did he forgive you and me? When our malicious attitudes, I will not love that person, I want harm for them, offended his creation. How did he forgive you and I? Like, did God wait till we repented and said we're sorry? He said, oh, okay, well, now I forgive you. Is that what he did? Did he even wait till we realized that we needed to say we were sorry? Nope. Nope. He forgave us while we had a pattern of continuing to offend him, actually. <laughs> he forgave us. He forgave us first. He forgave us first. The Lord decided before we ever repented not to hold our offenses against us, even though we deserve justice and punishment for it. The, the Lord released us from our offenses. How did he do that? Ah, no big deal. That was just that relationship you were in. Ah, that wasn't really offensive to me. That wasn't really a mockery of my holiness. You didn't really mean to do that. Is that how he forgave you and me? Is it? No. That's not what he did. He didn't sweep it under the rug. Somebody had to die for that. He did. He did. He released us from our offenses, brothers and sisters, by deciding to let our offenses hang over his head, to let our offenses kill him and crush him. Instead of us, God absorbed the punishment for our offenses that it required so that we could get this, receive his forgiveness. Come on home. Come on home to Jesus. Come on back. I've dealt with that. 
what empowers us to put our sin to death, what empowers us to put on the new self of forgiveness is, is the ultimate putting to death that the Lord experienced. The ultimate stripping off that he experienced for us. Jesus stripped himself of his perfect righteousness. And he put it on you. And he put it on me. Who are sexually immoral, greedy, right? Malicious, slanderous when we talk about. He put that on me? He gave that to me? Wow. His perfect righteousness. He stripped us of the idolatry and prejudices and he put it on himself and he put it on himself till it killed him, till it was dealt with. When we see how much Christ has loved us and when we see how much it cost Jesus to love us, it makes us want new things. It's the gospel that makes us want new things. It makes us want to live his way. Like it actually makes us want to live like a Christian. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I love you guys. I want to pray for you, okay? Jesus, we thank you for loving us first, forgiving us first before we ever said we were sorry. Um, We have great defense attorneys that live in our soul that justify why we do what we do and why it's okay. And you forgave us. You are defense attorney. You, the Bible says, is our advocate for when we sin now. And so God, I just pray that you would help us right now be people, those of us that are Christians, that you would help us strip off the things that are passing away, that you would help us strip off and put to death those things. And we need other people to help point that out to us. We need to take steps to invite people into our life and invite people over, over to our homes and say, hey, can you show this to me so that I can live like a new creation? Help us put on that new self. That you have given us, that new identity, that new person that you have made us to be. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, literally change Crossway? Would you help us forgive people that have genuinely offended us? Remind us that you, you have forgiven us of all of our offenses. Help us do that with empathy and patience and with love. And we thank you for what you are doing in our church and what you will do this coming week in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen.